It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Even more details during the morning of the 10K giveaway. It's a biggie for the smallies for the Christmas. More details coming up throughout the course of the morning. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number to call. Take to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up a little bit later, what is the story with this vaccine? It's all over the newspapers. It looks like a huge breakthrough. Is it really? It probably is, but there's a bit of a health warning with it. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Also, we'll find out more about this mink thing. Should we be more worried about it than we were maybe yesterday? Maybe, maybe not. That That's, that's just all in the mix at the moment. But it's a big day politically and it's a big day in terms of the future of the Tonish. Have no doubt about it. Leah Varadkar will survive this confidence motion later on today. What will happen is they'll flip it around from a no confidence motion to a confidence motion and sure they'll all be press ganked into voting for it whether they want to or not. They've all been told there are no pairings allowed. You have to be there. You have to be in the convention centre. You have to vote. And they'll all be whipped in to voting confidence in Leah Baradkar whether they actually have it or not. There is a road traffic accident at Kaloshta Cullum in Balancholic. Uh, you need to avoid that if you can at all. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to the WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. Your Twitter is at opinionline96 with the hashtag ol 96 and of course, you can contact us through Facebook, the Corks 96 FM Facebook page. The other story dominating the morning news, other than the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, which they say is 90% effective. Other than that, and other than the confidence motion in Leah Varadkar, is the possible future of the Supreme Court judge, uh, Seamus Wolf. Remember the former Attorney General, now a Supreme Court judge, was one of the people who attended the Golfgate dinner. The Golfgate dinner, which in the history of the opinion line, in fact, in the history, I think, of working in this radio station, in every aspect of it, I have never felt or heard such palpable anger from listeners and ordinary citizens as to the morning the Golfgate story broke. Uh, there's another chapter of Golfate this morning. The uh, judge at the centre of it was Seamus Wolfe. He was a former Attorney General, the immediate past Attorney General, if you'll remember. Now, there was an EU commissioner lost their job out of that. That was Phil Hogan. There was a cabinet minister 
lost his job as a result of golf. That was Dara Kaliri. The last Cahirlik of the Shannad lost his job, had to resign from his job. That was uh, Senator Jerry Butimer. But Supreme Court Judge Seamus Wolfe, who is a former Attorney General, the immediate past to Attorney General, he was at the dinner. He's still holding out. Now, he's been investigated by the former Chief Justice Susan Denham, who said he didn't break any law or he didn't knowingly breach any guidelines. But the new Chief Justice, who is Frank Clark, has said he should resign because his behaviour has undermined the administration of justice. Now, that's the big story. His new Chief Justice, his boss, has said he should resign because the administration of justice has been undermined by his actions during and since Golfgate. Now, the journalist, one of the journalists who broke the Golfgate story back in August and has been following it diligently since is, of course, Aoife Moore from The Examiner. This one, Aoife, just keeps on giving. Good morning. Hello. Yeah, it doesn't seem to stop, does it? We're a few months away from Golfgate now and it's still still ongoing. What is the latest? I've been breaking it down there over the last couple of minutes. He's still holding out. It's important to say that Justice Susan Denham said he hadn't broken any law or knowingly broken any guidelines. But equally important is what his boss, the Chief Justice, says. He should resign. He says he's going nowhere. Yeah, so I think what the main thing with um, Chief Justice Clark is trying to get across is that even though Justice Denham said that um, Mr. Wolf didn't break any laws, what Mr. Clark has pointed out is that it wasn't actually the going to Clifton that has been the main issue. It was how he acted after it. You know, when Justice Denham published the transcript of her interview with Seamus Wolf. He did not come across well. He said he apologised because everyone else had apologised, but he didn't really know what he was apologising for. He compared the media coverage of it to the Ku Klux Klan. He said that, you know, we were scraping the barrel when when uh, Dark Lear resigned. All of these things are what Frank Clark are, is pushing and saying, you know, it's not so much that you went, it's how you conducted yourself after. You used per judgment of the Supreme Court Justice I know you're bringing down the reputation of the court. We know from the letters that Seamus Wolf completely refutes that, but I don't think if anyone has read the transcripts, they'll be that surprised that Seamus Wolf has refuted it. He seems very sure of himself. This is an incredible scandal for the court. I mean, there's been very little like this before. The court does a lot to stay out of the news for the most part, and, you know, the judges are supposed to be beyond reproach, and I think that's what Frank Clark's main concern is. What's his actual position, Seamus Wolf's position, as of this morning? As of this morning, the way it was left is that Seamus Wolf will not sit on the bench until February 2021. And in the months between now and then, he'll donate his salary to charity. That was what the two men agreed on. However, we do know this morning that the current Attorney General has been asked to advise the government on what they should do. Frank Clark has no... Uh, ability to end Seamus Wolf's career. He can only, you know, make a, re- a referral. However, the ball is very much in their office's court now because they're the only people who can remove Seamus Wolf. It's written into the Constitution that you can remove 
a justice if there's stated misbehaviour. However, there is no definition for stated misbehaviour in the Constitution or in law. So it's very much up to the advice that the government gets from the Attorney General and the pressure that's put on them by the public. Yeah, he wrote a nine-page letter to Chief Justice Clark last night. And the gist of it is, isn't it? I'm, I'm going nowhere. Yeah, it very much is. You know, I think for a lot of us, this is the way I thought about it. If this is any other job in the world, if your boss had written you a letter saying for the good of your profession, I don't think that you should remain in your job. For a lot of us, that would be incredibly embarrassing. And we would go back and we would reflect and think, nah, I'm a bit too embarrassed to go back to work. But in Seamus Wolf's letters, he just uses every point that Justice Clark puts to him as a point to argue on. He argues back with everything he says and says, you know, I respect your opinion, I respect you as a friend, I respect you as a judge, but I'm not resigning. Now, Paul Gallagher is the new Attorney General, and it's landed on his desk. It's the last thing he wants on his desk, isn't it, Eva? Yeah, this is very on the common for the court, you know, and for the judiciary. They don't want to be involved in stuff like this, and it's, this is exactly what Frank Clark was trying to avoid. So Paul Gallagher now he has to refer to the government, and we heard just this morning Pascal Donnery, the finance minister, said, you know, it's a very serious matter, and the government has now sought legal advice on it. Um, so the way it's kind of been left now is it's left in Paul Gallagher's uh, very capable hands, but it is an unprecedented situation. And I feel that there'll be a lot of people within the legal uh, services that feel very sorry for Paul Gallagher because, you know, I don't think for a million years he ever thought this was something he was going to have to give advice on. Under the Constitution, a judge can be gotten rid of, can be sacked impeached but it's never been done and it's a long and an arduous process. Go through it for us. Yeah it's incredibly long so there would have to be a vote in the doll and the Shannon and then there is obviously the judge himself Seamus Wolf is obviously due fair process whether that be you know a government committee or whatever we could actually see this if Seamus Wolf decided to fight it we could actually see this going to the superior court and his own colleagues would then have to rule on whether he'd been given fair procedure and whether he'd been unfairly dismissed. So he could bring his own... He could bring the courts to the court? Yeah. He could bring to the courts and the rushes to the court. That's bizarre. <laughs> it's completely unprecedented. This is the biggest scandal I think the legal uh, the judiciary has seen in a really, really, really long time. And I know that it won't have... Um, improved Seamus Wolf's standing within, you know, with his new colleagues in the Supreme Court. You know, we've, we've heard a lot from sources that they are incredibly not happy about this already. So digging in his head, because the whole point of the Supreme Court is supposed to be beyond reproach, but when it, it gets to February and he goes back onto the bench, there'll be loads of media attention on it then too, because everybody will want to see what it's like when Seamus Wolf's on the bench, knowing that, you know, his boss doesn't want him to be there. Yeah, that's the, that's the whole, holy all of it, as they say. His boss has told him he shouldn't be there and consider his position and resign and all those things. No, I'm going, I'm going absolutely nowhere. It is unprecedented. And what makes it even more interesting, I think, Aoife, is that the, the most experienced constitutional political heads in the country are rubbing their chins in the, this morning going, I have absolutely no idea where this is going to go. 
Yeah, it is. And like the thing is, because it's not written into the constitution or in the law about what stated misbehaviour is, who who decides? Because at the end of the day, the Attorney General just gives advice to the to the cabinet and there are constitutional law experts who all have different, you know, legal views on different things. We saw that during, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, the right to housing and constitutional change on that. So we know that there are legal experts with many different opinions on the constitution. So when it comes to the stated misbehaviour, I'm sure that Justice Clark has a different view of stated misbehaviour than Seamus Wolf does and that's going to be the second point. When I spoke to you in August, the morning after this story broke, I just said there before I brought you on, I never experienced such anger among listeners. Do you think the public is still as engaged with this story as it was back in August, Eva? Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, when you know any talk of Gulfgate, it still brings up a lot of anger in people. They're probably talking about it less up until now. Like, I wrote this in a paper today. The thing about Gulfgate for people was that it made people feel like we were obeying rules, that the people who created the rules weren't obeying themselves. And that's where the kind of anger and fury came from. You know, it's one rule for us and one rule for them. And and moreover, with Seamus Wolf, yeah, we should remember he was one of the guys who drew up the rules. <laughs> and I think this and the kind of attitude, right, whether rightly or wrongly, Seamus Wolf's attitude has come across incredibly arrogant to the people I've spoken to about it. They said, I just can't believe, you know, it's in the complete opposite way of the dark Cleary was. He was like very early saying, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done this. And he resigned. And this is the total opposite uh, behaviour that we, we kind of got used to in a way, you know, even until Phil Hogan. But yeah, I think people are incredibly angry with Seamus Wolf now because of how he's acted and knew he didn't do what they would see as the honourable thing that Jerry Bonimer and uh, Dara Cleary did. So yeah, it's just this, it's a never ending story. <laughs> it is. It, it is. I bet when you got that first phone call when you were sitting over your laptop writing up something else and you got that first message back in August, <laughs> did you think you'd still be here? In the end of November, wondering what's going to happen right into Christmas and the New Year with this. Yeah, no, I didn't even think. I didn't even know if we had a story when we first got the email. So, and now we're, we're still talking about it. Aoife, good to talk to you. Pleasure to have you on the Opinion Line. Thanks very much. That's Aoife Moore, herself and her colleague Paul Hosford, were the two journalists who broke this story back in August. So now you've got Seamus Wolf's boss telling him he needs to resign. And he says, I'm going nowhere. You now have it in the hands of the new Attorney General to advise the government what to do. It's in the Constitution how it can be done. It has never been done. No one actually knows what the hell, how the hell you go about it. So he's still in position as a judge. Jerry Buttimer quit his job as Laskahillick at the Shannon. It was about 5 to 10 the statement came through here that morning. Gary Caleary was gone before he was out of bed, I'd say, because it was 10 to 8 that morning that that story broke. But Seamus Wolf is still hanging on for dear life. Hi, PJ, as far as I'm concerned, Cleary is still a TD and Buttimer is still a senator. They both held on to their jobs in government, says Ed. Not quite, Ed. Dara Cleary is no longer a cabinet minister. Yes, he's gone back to being a TD. You can't actually be sacked as a TD unless you meet a number of different conditions which unfortunately are not met here. But Jerry Buttimer is still a member of the Shannon. He has stepped down from his position as less coherent. Only the electorate can remove a TD under, except for extenuating circumstances and only the electorate 
that the Senate electorate can remove a senator. Kate says she never thought she'd see the day when Donald Trump would have something in common with Seamus Wolf. They're both refusing to resign and they're both avid golfers. Yes. 1857-15996. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Join me on the big drive home every weekday, where I've got you sorted with the best music mix, the latest in Cork traffic and travel. I'll be testing out your music knowledge on the one second song, and all thanks to toppers at Turner's Cross, I want to hook you up with free food on the takeover. So for that and more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. The big drive home with Ford Lease takes the hustle out of vehicle leasing. If you're a business, it's easy to budget with no unforeseen cost. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 I wonder, are people still as interested in what happens to Seamus Wolf as they were in in mid-August? Only you can tell me. If I'm in, if you're interested, I'm interested. What are your thoughts? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We have a bizarre situation where his boss has told him to resign. He can refuse to resign. An even more bizarre situation where only the Eroctus can remove him, but they've absolutely no idea what to do about it and where to go about it and it's now in the hands of the new Attorney General who would just wants nothing less Let's move on to Leo Varadkar a man who faces a no confidence motion in the Dáil today as a result of his The Village article from a couple of weeks ago and there's been more from The Village now uh, overnight where they're accusing him they're accusing him of lying to the Dáil which is a very severe and serious accusation to make. That's out there if you want to read it. But Sean Defoe, political correspondent. Sean, I said at the top of the programme, the chances are he'll he'll come through this. I think I'm right there, am I? Uh, you are, yeah. He, he is uh, expected to fairly handily come through it in the end. And despite some dissent in the Fianna Fáil and Green Party camps over the last week as to what he did and why he did it and why they happened to back him, uh, they probably are. And, and part of that is the fact that the counter motion the government is going to put forward is a motion I- expressing confidence in the government as a whole. So it's kind of a, a workaround almost for those TDs who didn't want to have to expressly vote individual confidence in the Liberal Instead, they'll just reaffirm their confidence in the government itself and be able to kind of hold their noses and get through the vote. Now, this vote is also costing the taxpayer money. Explain how. It is, because it has to be moved down to the convention centre. So basically, for any motions of uh, confidence or any of the really big votes, they have to be done fully in person. Leinster House isn't big enough to do that to allow for social distancing. So today's sitting was due to be in Leinster House, which obviously incurs no extra uh, fee to the taxpayer because that's where it normally sits. But instead, it's had to be moved down to the convention centre. And it costs about €25,000 a day to open that. So it was due to open tomorrow, but instead of being able to just move the vote to tomorrow, they moved the entire session down there today. So it's an extra 25 grand this week that will be spent on the, the premises. Village Magazine has published another chapter, as it were, in its, in its pursuit of, of Leo Varadkar here. And it, its opening line is a very strong one. I'm quoting directly. It says, The cardinal political sin is lying to Parliament. It's a resigning matter for a minister to lie to the Dáil. 
village submits evidence, and there's a long article that suggests the Doyle has been lied to on what is currently an important and topical issue. Do you think this stuff, this new article, is going to come up as part of the debate? Uh, I think it will come up as part of the debate, but I'm not sure how much credibility it's going to be given because uh, the, the main tenant of that article is that Leo Varadkar misled or lied to the doll because of his description of his, his friendship with Matthew O'Toole, the GP obviously at the centre of this in the doll last week. Um, Leo Varadkar in some ways threw him under the bus. You could say he said there are friends and there are friends and that he wasn't a close friend with uh, Matthew O'Toole, that he was over that the doctor was over-egging uh, the two of their relationships to get you know some of his own gain basically within his union and that he met Dr. Matthew O'Toole maybe two or three times a year, the kind of acquaintance you might meet at Christmas drinks or you you know you know you might bump into the odd thing but not a very close friend. Now what village uh, it claims to show through a, a bunch of screenshots and different texts is they say that the, they can show that Dr. O'Toole and Leo Varadkar met on at least 10 different occasions uh, in 2019 and basically that the text messages implied a much closer relationship than what Varadkar let on in the door. However, after it was published yesterday, Leo Varadkar's spokesperson came out and said that very simply many of those meetings did not happen. They they. they did not actually take place and that the magazine had got its facts wrong and indeed spokespeople for ministers Pascal Donoghue and Simon Harris who were also quoted in the article and cited as having attended some of these meetings both came out and said that the three meetings related to them also never took place that they, they didn't happen and were completely made up so they have put a big push back uh, in relation to the contents of that article It's fascinating. Finally Sean and briefly with regard to, to Seamus Wolf, this is unprecedented and everyone is stroking their chin and this morning wondering what is going to happen. What do you think? Uh, I think what we would like to see is uh, advice obviously to the government this morning from the Attorney General. That cabinet meeting is, is now underway and his take on it is going to be particularly interesting. But we, it is possible, I think, we will see a motion from one of the opposition parties to try and remove him. There is, in fact, at the moment, a slot available in the Dáil this evening that has been vacant because of Sinn Féin's motion of no confidence and just the way that the Dáil business was jiggered around. And uh, some of the opposition parties, including uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, but uh, other in Labour and in the Social Democrats have questioned whether Seamus Wolf's position is now tenable, whether you can have a, a situation where the entire Supreme Court basically is looking for him to resign and he is refusing to go. So they may try and bring forward that sort of motion. I don't think such a motion has ever been done before. Certainly I can't remember any record of something like that of the Iraq just trying to remove a judge uh, in this way or trying to push for a resignation. So no one's entirely sure about what would happen next and how it would work out. But we, we haven't heard the end of this and it is being very much battered towards the political court now. Okay. Sean, we'll see how it pans out throughout the day. Thank you very much. That's Sean Defoe, a political correspondent. 185715996. We'll be coming back to this, by the way. We'll be talking to Donna from Sinn Féin a little later on about this unfolding story with regard to Leo Varadkar and I can could probably ask Donacha about Seamus Wolfe as well. 1850-715-996 And now, as Monty Python used to say, for something completely different. Claire O'Leary. And how many years service, Claire? Ten years service. And you've been here since day one and coming into day 161. Did you ever think it would take that long? No, definitely not. I haven't been here as, as active as I'd want to be because I'm expecting, but the girls here have been unbelievable. They're here morning, noon and night. I never thought it would go on this long. When you went home the day lockdown was announced, what did you honestly think? I just thought COVID. You know, they're looking after us, they're protecting us. But never, t- never dreamed that this would happen. 
that we'd be shut out, never to come back in again and work with all these fabulous people and that's the hardest, I think. Like you said, you're expecting. How yeah. far along are you? I had 30 weeks today. So. <laughs> this might be the last day. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, well, I come pop in now and again. Yeah. So, you know, it's like I miss the girls and I miss the company. Yeah. Great bunch, you know. Any news yet, Claire? No, 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 not, not yet, PJ. Nearly there. On the <laughs> Nearly home there. You're, you're, you're in hospital, are you? Yeah, I'm in since last Tuesday. Just, uh, just keep an eye on me. I'm having a section in the morning, so... Okay. Well, All good. They're looking after me here. Bed breakfast. Good, good, good luck with that. Anyway, thank you. Thank people you. are people are saying, and you're right. You know, you were down there on, on the picket lines, and and you and you fit to drop, ready to go. You're one of the real heroes of this uh, of this whole there's, story. There's, there's a lot more heroes than me. It's two hundred team. <laughs> two hundred and what twenty days now or something? It's I just mounting. So. I know. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's crazy. Even listening to that interview feels like ages ago. Yeah. That was that was you know? October in the middle of yeah. yeah, yeah. Mad. Day one hundred and sixty one, we were down there with you for that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hopefully it won't go on too much longer. You're obviously still in touch with everyone and even yeah, though I am. Is, yeah. everyone is very determined still. Yeah. Oh god, yeah, definitely. They can't let it go now. It's come too far. You couldn't you couldn't give up now. Yeah. It's getting you know? harder though with I mean there's it only is the weather the weather especially, you know, and the evenings are shorter and it's, it's not nice to be down there. It's very open, you know. There's only 45 days to Christmas and yeah. KPMG have said they, they, they're threatening, are they threatening to walk away on the 23rd that, of December? That's what they're saying, but I don't know. I mean, are they just threats or would they do it? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's hard to know with them, to be honest. Could, could we see, if all goes well, and I sincerely hope it does, could we see a very young picketer before Christmas? Never know. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the space, PJ. <laughs> well, Mick Barry has been on to say you're on the radio campaigning for workers' rights 24 hours before giving birth. Yeah. Absolutely personifies the fighting spirit of the Debenhams workers. Good luck tomorrow and stay away oh, from okay. that picket line for a couple of weeks at least. <laughs> and, and Valerie says uh, you're the real hero. Uh, you have been absolutely brilliant from start to finish, and I remember the day that you were down there on on thirty weeks. You were you were showing signs of strain, but you were still there <laughs> and still determined. Let us know how it all goes. I will, of course. And thanks uh, so much, and thanks for all your coverage. Uh, and no, just just one thing as well, Peter. If we have um we have a petition on online as well, if people could just go on and sign it, okay. it'll only take fifty seconds to to do it. Is and it changed at all? Yeah, or you can just go in through one of the boycott Debenhams pages and it should be on that. All right, okay. All right, thanks a million, PJ. Cheers, Claire. Take care. Good luck tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 See you. 1850-715-996. We will mention that that, uh, petition site, but she's got a section happening tomorrow and she's still campaigning 24 hours before. 1850-715-996. Caleri and Baltimore are still living out of the public purse. Wolf has no payoff and no way of earning a living. So this is not proportionate. Are you are you joking me? Are you have you seen how much of a pension a former attorney general gets? No, no way of earning it. <clears throat> stop, stop, stop. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It was towards the end of the show yesterday when the story broke from Pfizer's, which I heard a doctor say this morning, and it's worth noting. This is just a press release from Pfizer's. But at the same time, it's a press release Pfizer's Pfizer's wouldn't put out there unless they were genuinely excited about it. They have a vaccine ready to rock 
which is 90% effective. That's the plus side. It might be ready before Christmas or very early in the new year to start giving it to the most vulnerable groups, the most the groups most in need of a vaccine. That is more good news. Okay, there's a little bit of a health warning on it. It's got to be kept at colossally low temperatures, like 80 or 90 below zero, in order for it to be effective. And we don't know how long it'll be effective for. So it's good news, but don't be getting overly excited. Let's go to Professor Jerry Killeen at UCC. Jerry, good morning. Is that a fair assessment? Very good news, but let's not be getting overexcited just yet. Good morning. Good morning, yeah. No, I think you covered that all there. I think my job is done this morning. <laughs> Tell us how good it is, though. 90% effectiveness is, is pretty much unheard of in, in, in a first run, isn't it? It's not unheard of, but it's very high, and it's, you know, that's good news. Um, you know, that's, that's the first of three big hurdles over. And, um, yeah, it didn't fall. It, it, it came through. So, you know, 90% is a, it's a fine place to start. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, the, the right balance is great. At least we've got something to look forward to coming down the pipeline. But, you know, again, we shouldn't let that interfere with our decision-making because it's, this is, you know, at best, this will take time. You know, they're, they're on the, in the same press release, you've got a projection for 50 million doses by the end of uh, 2020 and 1.3 billion by the end of 2021. But there's 8 billion of us on the planet. And um, and so, you know, it's not going to change the rules of the game for quite some time. So, you know, it is, you know we're still going to have to look more or less the same decisions in the eye. And then this is all provisional. You know, um, it is a press release. What I'm very happy about is the analysis was done by an independent uh, data monitoring committee. So, you know, there should be no bias in that. That would all be very carefully overseen. So, you know, on balance, it's it's great. It's encouraging. You know, it gives us all a bit of a lift. And, um, and, and you know, it's always good to have another option on the table. And also the, the prospect of having maybe another three or four get to this point in the next six to 12 months, because that, that's, that's what we seem to be looking at. Well, fingers crossed. There, there are some questions we won't be able to answer in the next six to 12 months. And the big one is duration of um, of protection. And, and that's, you know, there are lots of different mechanisms that pathogens use to evade the immune system. For coronaviruses, uh, it's, it's duration of protection. And unfortunately, that just takes time. You know, you've just got to follow up people who've been vaccinated. And these results relate to people within seven days of, of the second um the dose. second dose. So, you know, what that would mean for somebody in six months from now remains to be seen. Coronaviruses are really good at this. You know, the common cold is the classic example, which we normally all get three to five times a year. So, you know, it, so it's it's past the first hurdle, but it's important that we don't let this good, encouraging news distract us from the kind of decisions we've got to make in the here and now. Yeah. And certainly, we shouldn't put them off. Yeah, for forty-three thousand five hundred people were tested across across six countries. No significant safety concerns have been raised. The other thing, and you spent a lot of time in Africa, and I know that they had this with the Ebola vaccine when it came out. The, the incredible temperatures at which this thing has to be kept, like it does, it means your 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 GP isn't going to have a fridge in the corner that can go down to minus eighty. No, but you know, I mean. Um 
you know, where there's a will, there's a way on that front. I think even like I have colleagues in Africa working on vaccines that have similar requirements for, you know, I mean, Tanzania is a million square kilometres. It's 20 times the size of Ireland. Most of the country has intermittent electricity at best. You know, so like, so those challenges are, you know, that there are people who think that, so those things can be achieved in a country like Tanzania. So it's, um, so I wouldn't rule it out on the basis of the minus 80. I would worry more about that it will affect global equity of access. You know, this is going to be a, a much tougher vaccine for low-income countries, but uh, Ireland should be able to handle it. Well, uh, we that's, could, that's we could probably make it here, I guess, Jerry, if we were... Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, minus 80 is um, you know, over short periods and, and short travel distances and, you know, minus 80 freezers, they are available. That That can be done in Ireland. I just... I, I worry about the rest of the world, especially when there's only 1.3 billion doses available by the end of 2021. Um, I just hope we don't see, um, mm. you know, I, I just worry about how so that's going to end up. Optimism, but caution. And the yeah, other ones yeah, will yeah. come yeah, in the same. Let's enjoy the, enjoy the, enjoy the good news. Um, and But it's, what I like is it's a really good example of what can be done yeah. where there's a will. I mean, this pathogen did not exist. It did not have a name uh, 10 months ago. And yeah. here we are with a vaccine with what looks like, provisionally, 90% efficacy. I mean, yeah. from a standing start, that's that's impressive stuff. That's pretty, this is stuff that sometimes takes takes many years. You, you mentioned that it also should be a, a warning to us, don't take our foot off the pedal in terms of living how we have become used to living. Genuinely, Jerry, um, the prospect of, and everyone is dreaming, I suppose, that on the 2nd of December, the numbers will have come down sufficiently to allow us get a little break and celebrate Christmas with our families. Possible or foolhardy? Well, I think if we limit it to our families and our social bubbles and the people that are most important to us and we have a simple Christmas, I think that's doable and I hope that's what we'll be doing. Um, however, you know, the Christmas that we all loved, you know, all the messy nights there's all that fun stuff that we used to fly back to Ireland for, you know, moving around lots of houses, catching up with all your relatives, your cousins, your uncles, your friends, people you haven't seen for years, you know, that's just not on the card. So um, unless we want to find ourselves having the same discussion in um you know, in, in January, February. And, you know, we've got a big decision to make uh, in the next few weeks about, you know, where do we take this? There's no point in going through lockdowns unless you lock in those 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 benefits until you take it down to a place where you can keep it. Yeah. And, and, um, and you know, that, that's, those decisions are coming up on us hard and fast. And uh, it's going to make our minds up time because I, I don't think anybody has the appetite for a third wave. Indeed not. Or a third lockdown and come to that. Assuming that Pfizer will be followed by others, uh, and let us assume, and let us not just hope, let us assume it will be followed by, by others. About how long before we can start, assuming they're all effective, about how long before we can start getting our lives back, Jerry? Um, I think, well, if they all kind of tick all the boxes and we get green lights on duration of efficacy, safety, um, you know, manufacturing, scale-up, distribution, all that kind of stuff. I guess we're looking at the end of 2021. Hmm. 
So this time next year, life might be back to, to some semblance of, of what we used to call normal. Jerry, even you are sounding optimistic this morning, and you know I say that, I, I say, I say that with a smile. <laughs> well, you know, fortunately, yes, I, for a living, I, I, I kind of look pathogens in the eye and figure out the rules of the game, so you're just going to say it like it is. But, you know, there's, um, you know, there's, here we've got something to, you know, a little bit of good news. Good. So let's enjoy it. And just let's remember with vaccines, you know, um, it, as with anything, it's a mistake to look on it as a panacea. You know, there's, yeah. it's, there, there's a lot, we have lots of other stuff up our sleeve today, you know, apart and you know, we've got the stuff we already know how to do. We've got uh, rapid antigen testing, which, you know, I've been using for a decade. Um, people have been using all over the world for various applications. You know, there's lots of stuff we can do. There's lots of stuff that is being done and does work and we just need to get on with it. We're in a much better place than when you and I first spoke in the early part of the year, I think. Um, We are on the downslope and we have an opportunity and it's just, I just pray to God we grab it with both hands. All right, Jerry. always a pleasure to talk to you. Professor Jerry Killeen at UCC, 1857 <laughs> Mags says, ah, Jesus, Mags isn't a fan of Jerry. Mags, he's been right far more than he's been wrong. That's the problem. That's why we keep bringing Jerry Killeen on the show. He's been consistently right. There are other vaccines that, that might suit the developing world better. But as he said himself, in Africa, in Tanzania, in places like that, they'll find a way to do this if that's what they, they did. I was listening to another interview this morning about the 80 to 90 degree thing. And they had to do that in Africa with one of the Ebola vaccines. And they did. So it can be done. 1850-715-996. PJ, this Judge Wolf is not going without doing his best on purpose to put all of those who to deal with his file in a really tough an unprecedented situation. His aim really is, I'm going all right, but I'll make it tough for them. That's from Tom. 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix is one year online. So to celebrate, we're giving away 500 euro to one loyal listener. 500 euro. For your chance to win, follow Cork's 96FM on Instagram now. Tag your mates, then share it in your Insta stories using the hashtag HitMixMoney. HitMixMoney. 500 euro. Cork's 96FM's HitMix. The home of non-stop, fresh, new music. Listen on your phone, smart speaker, or see 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, if you want to sign that petition for the Debenhams workers, you can just Google Adjust Settlement for Debenhams workers or you can go to myuplift.ie and just search the word Debenhams and it will... It will come up. The proc are at me again for giving the Debenhams workers a platform. They reckon that I sh- that De- De- Debenhams workers have no case, and the, De- the proc have been down on the Debenhams workers since the start. Tough luck, lads. Tough luck and drucker. Get back under your stone, for God's sake. Listen, it's your final week to win free money with Cork's and Hitmix. Hit mix. We're celebrating one year online by giving away €500 Euro to one loyal listener. We will choose a winner on this Friday, November the 13th. 
You enter now by following Cork96FM on Instagram and then tag your mates on the post, share them on your stories and use the hashtag HitMixMoney. It's Cork96FM HitMix, the home of non-stop fresh new music. Listen on your phone, your smart speaker or see 96fm.ie. And by the way, coming up very soon, it is coming back. People have been asking me, is it coming back? It is coming back. Cork's 96 miss will be back. Watch this space. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. <laughs> oh, I have poked the bear with the proc. They're all angry with me again now this morning saying I'm attacking their freedom of speech. No, I'm not, lads. You've had plenty of freedom of speech all through the year. The question you asked me why I wouldn't ask, I have asked months ago and gotten an answer to. So... Find something else to whinge about. 1857-15996. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email opinion at 96fm.ie. A long message from Jerry in strong defense of Judge Wolf. Let's bring it to brass tacks. The former Chief Justice, Susan Denham, said he had committed no offense. And that's her legal advice. His new boss, the new Chief Justice, Judge Clark, has says he should resign. Now it's gone to the Attorney General for legal advice as to what the government should do next. He has said he is going nowhere. I haven't said either. I haven't said either. I just... I'm interested to know where this is going to go. Whether he resigns or not, I doubt I'll ever find myself in front of the Supreme Court, so I don't think it matters too much to me. At least I hope I won't. But it's interesting to see where it will go. Thank you, Jerry. I'll read it in a minute. I will. 1850-715-996. To Mayfield, Councillor Ted Tynan, good morning. Morning, PJ. Ted, where are these rats? And they've been there for a while, I believe. Yeah, um, the echo, actually. And I, I, I think I was on 96, back in the end of July, highlighting it. But what's, what's wrong, um, PJ, a small minority of residents living in the, in that area, Blenheimoy and surrounding areas, are dumping rubbish, you know, and that has now led to um, uh, what we call a plague of rats. And to give you an example, then last week I got a call and I went up to Blenheimoy Lawn, and in the wells, you know, when you come in the main doors into the, there's six families living in each entrance into the, like there's, there's, um, a block of, um, what was it, 18, 18 apartments in each block. Right. There's a doorway then into leading into six apartments and you have the stairs, you have the ground floor, the first floor and the second floor. So it's a three-storey building. Yes. And in the hallway downstairs then, you know, you can go in underneath the stairs and, but there was rats in, actually in the hallways and on the stairs within the block of flats. Like all all along for the last few months, they were out in the open, out on the streets and the gardens and all that. Yeah. But they've now made their way into the flats, you know. Oh, and was this by daytime? You saw them. Even, even oh yeah, daytime, yeah. And I've been told by somebody in the HSC that when you see rats frequently during the daytime, that's an infestation. Then you know. Oh, it means they, they feel safe. It. They feel they're they're very they're animals that yeah. realise when they're threatened and they scurry. So if they're coming they out in the, daylight, in the daytime, you that have a real problem. Yeah, they're dead safe. And, of course, the food is there for them. And 
they they grow in numbers then, you know, so there's obviously a plague of rats now in Glenamoy Lawn and the surrounding Ard Valley and one or two other areas as well close to it, you know. Do we know but, who was doing the littering? Yeah, a fair idea, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been given names and um, and the council have offices in Ard Valley and I can imagine it's probably a difficult task for them too, you know, mm. but the, what... What? We won't be naming no. anybody, Ted, obviously, no, no. but, but, but no, no. these it are people no. coming from outside, are they? No, no, some of them are actually residents of Glenamoy Lawn and some coming from outside then as well, you know, and they would throw it in. You see, what's happened is there's a number of apartments in Glenamoy Lawn vacant at the moment, yeah. and they then will dump the rubbish into the gardens, the front gardens and the rear gardens of those vacant flats, you know. So, I see. And... Also, adding to that then, you have, um, there was a, a district heating system in, in Glenamoy Lawn in Ard Valley, going away back to the 50 years ago when they were first built. And there was a, a district boiler house then providing hot water to each individual flat or apartment. And some of the houses, no doubt, have been built onto the corners of those flats. They provide hot water over the years, you know. Communal heating, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the pipes are running underground in kind of ducts underground, you know. So you can imagine our friends and the four-legged rats have uh, the best of accommodation underground. If you go down a metre into the ground, you'll get to the level of the of the piping system. That's historic, like that stairs. Oh, so they're living in the plumbing, ago. as it were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also... What happened then, which is um, a born of contention with practically all the people living in the apartments there, the city council um, in 2016 installed a heating system known as air-to-air heating system, which is a bit of a disaster because it doesn't heat water. It pumps hot air into your apartment and not very nice if you have a particular issue with um, uh, um, breathing problems, yeah, and 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 asthma and, and stuff like that, you know. Moreover, so, if if, and, if rats are living in the system, that's contaminated yeah, heat. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's another issue. You know. we, we one resident contacted us by email and said she was so frightened of it all that she'd actually moved out of her home for a, a couple of nights. Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, and. Women, in, in, for some reason, are more scared of rats than men would be, although I've seen men run as well from the size of rats, you know. Oh, geez, I wouldn't uh, be standing around too long myself, no, no, Ted. No, no, I wouldn't either, no, no. Because there is a kind of a, that, that historical fear, isn't it, about the plagues and everything else down through the years, you know. But when they installed this new heat, and then they, they, they put the machines up on the roofs of the, of the flat, the roofs of flat, you know, and... It was piping then sent down through the each individual flat and they had bored holes then to get the pipes into the each flat. And some of that work left a lot to be desired to some private company, I don't recall their name now. And the rats will squeeze around this, a tiny little opening and people are looking at this inside in their apartments and there's, they put extractor fans in into the bathrooms as well. And that's a fairly large opening, you know. So they're worried about rats making their way in, into these into the actual apartments themselves, you yeah. know. Would there so, be people with small children up there, Ted? 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's a fair number of uh, children there. Yeah. Adult Italy, and in fairness, the city council about 25 years ago, when they refurbished the apartments, they they created this courtyard then. There used to be open corners of the blocks of flats. Into those corners then, which totally sealed off the and the courtyard then. You won't see any footpath when you're walking by and driving by. But it's, you have to go through the flats at ground level and walk out into the courtyard. Yeah. When that courtyard was uh, set up 25 years ago, uh, they planted trees and they put in little, they, they divided it. Each flat then has their own little garden, you know, they fenced off each square and number five would have a garden, number six would yeah. have a garden, you know, that yeah. type of thing. But what's happened in the meantime then, that has become overgrown and also the dumping then was taking place. And yeah. PJ, just to be political about it, um, I had a motion done with the City Council in the last few weeks calling for um, the taking the waste management services back under public ownership. Yeah. I would link the privatisation of the waste management services about 10 years ago, which was supported by the main political parties in the council at the time. And myself, and I think Mick Barry would have been there, uh, yeah. a number of Sinn Féin people, and we opposed it, which was voted on, and they privatised it. Mm. I had a motion then in the system, um, three or four well, Hold on now, Ted. If people, if individuals are dumping rubbish in front yeah. gardens, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. think they're the kind of people who care whether it's public, yeah. private, or the man in the moon yeah. is collecting the rubbish. PJ, I would agree to you, but... It's it's no coincidence all that with the privatisation of it, the dumping of rubbish escalated. Prior to that, I think it was a rare enough occurrence to see um, a load of rubbish dumped somewhere, you know. So mm. I'm only just saying that for the oh, yeah. record, yeah. Peter. That's my experience oh, yeah. of yeah, it, sure. you know. We've contacted and the council uh, to see what they'll say to us, if if anything. If we get a response, we'll certainly we'll certainly bring it to listeners. But Ted, you mentioned that there are vacant flats up there. Yeah, why why are flats vacant in the middle of a housing crisis? Good question. Yeah, there's one vacant since um, it's it's almost four years vacant now. What? You know, yeah, almost four years, and it's a ground floor flat. And describe it to me. I mean, would would it be in reasonable nick? Two bed, one bed? Um, that ground floor one all could be a two bed. You know, and um. It's then then are fine flats. I I lived in we lived in Glenamilan for the best part of nine years right. in ninety four Glenamilan, and they are fine apartments inside. They're roomy and spacious, you know, yeah. very well done. But unfortunately, it was the um, over the years. Then like they're fifty years old now, you know. So, yeah. And and would the one that's pre- vacant for four years would that have been refurbed when they were being done up? Um. Oh, it would have been, yeah. yeah. It would have been done about 25, 26 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that pro- that, that, that project now, at the time, yeah. yeah. The, the individual was um, an antisocial guy, like he was um, creating havoc for his neighbours there and the city council evicted him and that was nearly four years ago. And I've seen him now, downtown, walking the streets. I think he's 
he's looked after now by Simon, you know. Right. Well, no names has. there. Let's not, let's not. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. I won't name well, anyone. What I'm getting at is the question, the question is an important one. This flat from whom somebody was evicted, that's, that's a separate yeah. matter, is now lying idle for four years in the middle yeah. of a housing crisis. And there's a number of other flats lying idle up there for a year and for two years. That's not, that's no. not either. What, what I've come across, uh, PJ, and speaking to people in the housing department and all that, is that they're short of funding and they're short of staff. Like for years we were campaigning for the council to open up an office in Mayfield, which they've done now, and there's three people staffing that, you know. And they're doing their best and they're doing, and I, I get on well with them and I communicate with them all the time, and they're doing their best. But I'm told off the record and by senior people in City Hall that if we had more money and more staff, we could do a lot more work. And no, there is a program uh, to do up the um, to refurbish the vacant homes around Mayfield. I think there's about 26, 28 of them. Yeah. And that's going out to a private contractor yeah. then. And so, Councillor John Maher has tweeted the show, Ted, to say that Cork City Council needs to use the bylaws and check who's paying and who's not paying for their rubbish and that those that aren't should get fined. This is essential work. Minority need to be stopped uh, spoiling it for the many good families who are suffering. Well, um, PJ, the office in Mayfield are doing that. They've gone door to door. They've given out leaflets. And if they want to initiate legal proceedings, it takes so long to do. And also, when you meet some of these people then who are dumping rubbish, you'll you'll find that there's... And I've spoken to some of them, you know, and I think there's um, some people seem to have a difficulty with rubbish for some reason. I maybe it's a kind of um, it's a, a kind of a an, an idea they have in their head or whatever, you know. But um, people have done studies on on this issue and why why do people hoard? Why do people dump rubbish? And some people some people up there are pure blackguarding, you know, mm-hmm. and and I, I would love to see the book thrown at them. But there are others then I find that they may generally have an issue with their rubbish about the kind of pressure of keeping their account up to date every week so that when the truck comes in, the account is, uh, there's money in the account and they will lift the bin, the drum, the bin then, you know. Mm. And they are conflicting kind of issues like that among those who do dump, you know. So um, is is... Forgive me, yeah. I should know. Is the charge not collected as part of the rent? No, it's not, PJ. Wouldn't that be the right it, thing to do? I think so. You see, that's what was happening. You see, when the council had ownership of the um, the waste management, they had um, they go out every week with their trucks and collect. But what happened 10, 11 years ago, they privatised it. Yeah. And by the way, PJ, there is a bigger picture there then. Well, hold on now, Ted, a Check. second. The, 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 the landlord of a private apartment block is, is at the end of the day, responsible for the behaviour of the people they rent yeah. to. So yeah. the, the, the council here is the landlord. The council is the landlord. The council needs to be enforcing this. Yeah, and I agree with you, yeah. yeah. They, they, they need to step up. Like we have a petition, there's a petition out by the residents going in Blenheim Island at the moment and the surrounding areas calling on Cox City Council to recognise that there's a, um, a huge issue in Glenham Island in particular in the courtyard 
and that Cork City Council would move in and clean up the courtyard. That is the solution in the short term. In the longer term, then, they need to keep an eye on the people who are uh, illegally dumping mm. and and deal with them then, like, when it's happening. But at the moment, the immediate thing from a health, public health point of view is that the whole courtyard is cleaned up. And it's a shame because that courtyard was used by the residents of Glenamoylan many years ago before the dumping started. And the children used to go out and play there. It was 100% safe because there's no way of getting into the courtyard other than through the um, the, the, the flats themselves, you know. So mm. it's it's a shame to see it lying there now. And uh, you have you may have seen the, the, the you've got photographs sent in yes. here too as well, I think, PJ. And you can see in the and like it's it's a beautiful area. It's a lovely area. It's a lovely area, and that's the worst part yeah. of it. It's an absolutely lovely and, area, and lovely yeah. people live in there for the most part. Yeah. And yeah. and this this plague of rats yeah. in infesting them because people are too selfish yeah. to bother and are just. Yeah. I mean, sorry, and, no, but if you're PJ, dumping if you're dumping rubbish this, in somebody else's yeah. garden, you should be yeah. fined at least. Yeah, yeah. And another thing too, PJ, if you it's historical now, but if you back if you look back when that you know, whole issue was. The waste management service was privatised 10 or 11 years ago. You had Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Labour Party to the forefront in privatising it. And, in fact, my motion that came up a few weeks ago... Ted, in the city hold Council, on, hold on, hold on. And yeah. I, 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 I know I've followed the whole privatisation thing with you yeah, over the years. Yeah. But, but I'm sorry here, right? It doesn't matter if the man in the moon is running the, dump, the dumping, running the, 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 the waste collection. If you are the kind of scrote who dumps rubbish into a vacant garden, it doesn't matter who collects it. You're not going to put it in the council truck. You're not going to put it in someone else's truck. You just well, need you to see, be disciplined. It doesn't matter who is collecting it. It didn't happen before it was privatised. That doesn't that, mean anything. It it does, really, because when it was... Cox City Council had their trucks driving into the estates, picking up the rubbish and disposing of it. The operation of it was 100% successful. And mm. if they see a bit of rubbish on the side of the road, in which in fact is the case at the moment, if they spot a few bags of rubbish on, like we say, the ring road at the back of Mayfield, they will pull in and take that rubbish away. You know? And because they are concerned about keeping the place neat and clean. Mm. But unfortunately... It was the privatisation of the management services. And in fact, PJ, just to bring up, a few weeks ago, I had a motion in calling on uh, the government to um, to bring waste management services back under public ownership and control. It went to a vote in the city council of 16 against and 12 for. Yeah. And in fact, the Greens split on it. Two Greens voted for the motion and two Greens voted against. Right. Now, that's strange. Yeah. The Greens are, are supposed to be concerned about the environment. And that's where I have problems with the Green Party at times. Like, do, like we we had a contribution yesterday at the Climate Action Committee and City Council by a speaker from UCC. And she pointed out in her contribution about the devastation caused by privatisation throughout Europe and throughout the world, you know. Mm. And... Privatization is a serious issue. I'm not saying I'm in favour of privatization. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I would have loved yeah. the, the I would have loved the, the the thing to remain in public ownership forever. Yeah. We'd all love our stuff to remain in public yeah. ownership forever. But at, yeah. the, at the same time, I'm not too sure that the fact that it's gone private is anybody's excuse to dump stuff. It's not. No, I know that. I agree with you, PJ. Yeah. 
Um, I like I we live here in in Mayfield and we take our rubbish out to the um, amenity site on the South Link. Yeah. I go out there about once every two months or three months, you know, and uh, I have a compass bin in in, in my back garden yeah. and we compassed everything. And there's cats it's in the poss- area. It's which possible, it's possible if you want to. It's, poss- it's yeah. possible if you want it's, to do it. It is, yeah. Ted, I'm going, to leave, I'm going to leave it there. If we get anything from the council on, on the response, right. on the questions we've sent to them, we'll certainly be back to it. Thanks, thanks a bit. Thank you, Ted Dynan. We've got a bit bogged down in the whole privatisation issue from years ago. The, the, the point I'm attempting to make is, maybe I'm not making it clearly enough, if there's a, if there's a truck coming into the estate and some people have their bins collected by the truck and some... If there's a truck coming in, whether it's Wiser's bin or City Clean bin or County Clean bin or the Man in the Moon's bin, I don't care who run, runs the truck. I don't care who's driving the truck or who supplies. If there's a truck coming in that you could have take away your bins for the sake of the couple of quid it costs and you're not willing to do that, then you're a problem. 1850-715-996. Caller says, I agree with Ted. I'm not his politics at all. When everyone had bin collection, irrespective of whether they paid for it, we'd no problem at all with rat infestation. Then they started to move over to the tags. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. System and problems started. Now there's all private fellas doing it. First we had the problem of rogue operators, and we still have that. Then we have the problem of people not paying. Whether they can't or won't pay is not the issue. The issue is we're now infested with rats in many areas just to create a market for these companies who benefited. Okay, that's an interesting twist. Where I'm living, says this caller, there are people who dump what's left over of their meals to go and their takeaways literally into the middle of the road. It draws rats. There's another woman who dumps leftover stew from a pot down a drain into the road. That's adding to the problem. When did this become a thing? It's making our life a misery with rats. I'm at home most of the day when my husband is at work and I can't take it. 1850-715-996. Yeah, question number eight. Natural gas from Cork, a band from Cork, had a very famous song. What is it? Oh, I don't know. Take a it's guess. A Cork, it's based on a Cork uh, phrase. Very famous Cork song. What, what are me and KC? We're a pair of? Presenters. <laughs> Presenters. <laughs> that was very kind. In Cork, baby, no. Oh, Langers. Yes, Langers. KC and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool celebrating the arrival of the new Skoda Octavia. Book your test drive now at noeldc.com. Exclusively Skoda in Cork City. Cork's 96 this is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM.
People saying on Twitter that Ted is right that they know it should have never come out of public ownership in the first place. Then we should have a public bidding collection and the better with public. Yeah, grand, grand. But that ship sailed a long time ago, and it ain't coming back to port anytime soon. That's just how it is. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. And by the way, it was never free. Someone paid. Somebody paid for it. Came out of the taxpayer. So it was never free in the first place. 1850-715-996. Right, let's go back to the Lever Adker story. He will survive, according to Sean Defoe, political correspondent. He will survive this evening's vote in the Dáile, which at the taxpayer's expense has to move over to the convention centre to have this vote. He will survive it. It's a total waste of time. Let's find out why Sinn Féin are so determined to bring it forward. Next. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Everyman Theatre presents Misfit Mythology as part of Play It By Ear, a programme of shows for the Everyman stage and available on live audio broadcast. Set in the small town of Kill Thomas, Misfit Mythology is a play that delves into the secrets that every small town harbours. Check out how to get your audio ticket at everyonecork.com. All areas. Cork Opera House is delighted to work with Collins Live to bring exciting live music to the stage again and celebrate some of the city and Ireland's emerging artists. Taking place on November 29th, the show will feature Lorraine Nash, Neve Regan, Melogian, and Paddy Dennehy. Details on live stream tickets can be found at corkoperahouse.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Councillor Kieran McCarthy has texted. Uh, 083 396 96 96 independent councillor he said the rough cost of setting back up the waste collection in the city would be around 8 to 10 million euro and then waivers would cost up to 4 million every year unfortunately the council doesn't have that kind of money anymore its budgets have been devastated in recent years it's a regular topic on the council's agenda thank you Kieran because I was wondering what the cost of doing it would be so 8 to 10 to set it up again to get a contractor and do all of that needs to be done and then you'd be waiving for deserving cases people who shouldn't have to pay you'd be waiving about 4 million worth every year so you'd be operating at a loss from day one you don't have the budget to do it should you get more money from government to do it probably Probably should, but as I said before, that ship has uh, at least appears to have sailed. 1850-715-996 on Leo Bradker and the No Confidence Motion. Leo has admitted he's wrong, says this call. He says he's very sorry. If we leave it at that, is that all that ever has to happen in the future? If a minister does something wrong, this is a very serious matter, and sorry does not cut it. Now, on the News Talk breakfast show this morning... Minister Pascal Donoghue, Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue, was asked about the motion of no confidence in Leo Varadkar. And of course, they will flip it, the government will flip it into a confidence motion. And he was asked about it 
this morning. The Tawnish to himself has acknowledged that he didn't handle this in the way he should have and would have again in the future. And this is why he went into the Doyle last Tuesday, answered questions on the matter and apologised. From the moment this issue developed, he issued a statement saying that this was not in line with his own standards or practice for dealing with this matter. He acknowledged this to the public, to his partners in government and then in the Doyle. Is there any division between the government parties? Uh, and while I know this matter has been discussed between the party leaders since the issue developed, uh, I know at government leader level, at party leader level, excuse me, there is a common view in relation to the issue, and I believe that also exists amongst the three different parties. Uh, but all TDs do have the right to express their view on this matter, but I would hope when we get to the motion tonight, this issue will be considered in the round of the way that Leo Radker has conducted himself now in high office for nearly a decade. Lastly, Minister, the Village magazine have also claimed that you met with Dr. Matt O'Toole. What's your response to that? They've made two allegations in relation to two meetings that they allege happened. Neither of those meetings happened. Interesting. That's Pascal Donoghue speaking to the News Talk Breakfast Show. What will happen today is that the no-confidence motion will be brought forward. It will be flipped into a confidence motion by the government, which Leo Varadkar will inevitably win. Sinn Féin, Tunnaka O'Leara, why, why bother then, given that it'll be flipped and it'll be, it'll be defeated anyway? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Look, the first thing is, is this is not a government that we have confidence in or have ever had confidence in. I suppose right from the outset, we made every effort to try and be part of the negotiations. And in fairness, some of the smaller parties, including the Labour Party and the Green Party, were willing to talk to us. But Fine Gael and Fine Fáil froze themselves, and I think that's a pity. I think we had an awful lot to offer in government. So the fact is, we were left in a position, and given the fact that I think in many ways that this is a government of the same old, same old, and to be honest, delivery hasn't given me much hope for anything uh, to the contrary of that. And it's not a government that we've been in support of. So is this an excuse to cause trouble for it then? Well, like I'm coming to that albeit that where they take the right decisions, we will support them, and we have on occasion, particularly in this current context. But in a situation where we're not really in support of the government, we don't have confidence in them generally, obviously emotional confidence is an approach that can be taken where a minister is, uh, I think, has fallen short of the standards that can reasonably be the minimum standards that can be expected of a minister, and where there are issues that are... um, are of the utmost seriousness. And I do believe that uh, after giving considerable space to the Tunisian last week to answer for his uh, situation, um, he, I don't think, has given a credible account. I don't think he has given an adequate excuse for what is, you know, described in the the guidance and the, the handbook for civil servants as serious misconduct, potentially leading to dismissal. I don't think he's given a good enough excuse for that. When you boil this down, what is this about? It is about uh, access being given, and it is yeah. it has been a problem in Irish politics for years. Yeah. The fact that yeah. you get things done because of who you know and who you have access yeah. to, and the fact is, Dr. Tool got this document, which was sensitive, which was valuable because of who he knew and who he was connected yeah. to. And, and that's as maybe, and that was debated last week, and I watched the to and fro with Leo Varadkar for the bones of two hours. It was very robust. People got a chance to ask the questions. He got a chance to answer them. You might not have liked them, but that's that. But, like, are you not kind of point scoring a bit here, Dolacher, on the grounds that, look, you know this is going nowhere. You know it'll be flipped. 
you know it'll be that the the opposite confidence motion will will be passed, and all this happening at a cost of twenty five thousand to the taxpayer because it has to be moved over to the convention centre. Well, I think that that is absolutely wrong. That that is happening, uh, and I don't think that that. What are the choices? Well, the choice is that the government could not flip it, um, and that this could uh, continue in the ordinary way, and it wouldn't be necessary to incur this cost. Um, so, look, still needs to be voted upon. It would need to be voted upon. My understanding is that uh, it is different from the government vote of confidence in itself and it could be taken in the voting block, which is scheduled uh, for Wednesday evening, as I understand it, which would have been a cost that would have been incurred anyway. But look, I mean, that's as maybe in terms of procedural stuff, the costs in relation to the convention, something, something we're raising on a weekly basis. Uh, we want to get back to voting in Leinster House, which is a building. The ideal situation would be for people well, to vote back, from their office. Come, but, but, the, but the point is, back, it's, back, it's, back, it's a waste of time, Dunnock. It's going no, nowhere. No, I, I don't accept that. I don't accept that at all. First of all, look, you know, in the last God dial, we, there wasn't always a majority, you know, for the false part of the government. Uh, but, you know, there was a more of a question maybe in relation to certain votes, whereas now we have, you know, a very clear majority to the government. I hope that that changes over the course of time. But the fact is, you know, if you take that question to its logical conclusion, um, then, you know, the minority, the, the opposition can never try and call out the government or it's always a waste of time. We gave the opportunity for the government to answer this issue themselves, to provide accountability for themselves. And the fact is, if this was uh, a civil servant, there's a very good chance to be facing a lot more serious uh, punishment than t- t- what, t- what element yeah. of the Q and A last week was and, and not what, appropriate to you? What's no, more, what's more, I would say that if this was a less senior minister, I would say that there would be more serious consequences. The you think the deal is too big to fail then? Well, it certainly seems like that, and it certainly seems like that that is the attitude being adopted by Fianna Fáil and the Green Party, including the Taoiseach Mian Martin, and they did have the opportunity, of course to ensure that there was proper accountability last week. The fact is, in terms of the account that, uh, and that was a question you asked, about the account that the Tarnishta gave, the fact is that he admitted that he had given this document inappropriately. He had given it uh, outside of the normal channels without informing the Department of Health, without informing the Minister for Health. He gave this document because his friend was looking for it. It is access. It's the old boys' club. Clearly a lot of people were very pissed off by what he did and and he's he's explained himself as best he can and I think people have already dismissing the latest chapter in Village. We'll see where it goes this evening and and whatever the vote, we kind of know where the vote will go but we'll see what's said in the course of the debate. Just one more thing there before I let you go, Donoghue. You have a press release out this morning on the backlog in driving tests in Cork. It's shocking. It is, absolutely. But just before, I, I, I just, I do want to finally, I suppose, re-emphasise that point. Like, I mean, the fact that just because we are in an opposition and in the minority uh, does not mean that we will stop calling this government to account and mm-hmm. we will continue to do so. Look, I mean, this has been an issue in the past and thankfully, you know, myself and other deputies would have raised it maybe in the last year or two and the numbers had come down in fairness. Uh, some of this was caused by the pandemic, but I do think Minister Ryan, uh, along with a number of other issues, to be honest, including the airport, has been a little lax in dealing with some of the crisis that have arisen from COVID and it has created problems. What are the numbers uh, right now? There's 6,535 learner drivers waiting for a test in Cork City. About 90,000 waiting across the state. Length length of time. If I apply for a driving test today, when will I be called? 
Well, look, I mean, it, it is varying. It's across the state, but some people are, are waiting several months. Um, you know, like it, it, you know, three, four, five months in some instances. Like where this is creating serious problems is, um, like, I mean, you know, the Sarsfield Road run, there's about 5,720 waiting, 814 in Uh But there's a bigger, I suppose, category of people waiting uh, for, for the Sarsfield Road. And this has serious implications for people's work. Um, you know, people are waiting well into next year. Given that we brought in the Clancy Amendment and, and the whole thing with regard to learner drivers and people driving unaccompanied exactly. and learner It's preventing younger people accessing jobs in particular and I think that is a serious issue and you know like I mean look we're expecting younger people to you know, How would we solve more. it? Hire more testers? Conduct more tests? Yeah no that's exactly it like I mean I do think that there was uh, there was an increase in the amount of instructors uh, that were taken on a few years ago but it seems to be that uh, the delay in to cause due to COVID, which is fair enough. Look, I mean, we, we'll accept that there was a need for, for a response at that particular point in time, but I think the Minister has been too slow uh, to address this. Again, a bit like the airports, a bit like a number of issues in his brief. I think he's not, he, he, he's not on the ball, to be honest, uh, and it is it is creating a real problem. Of course, there's a need for precautions, but really, we're well into November now at this stage. People will need to drive, people need to drive to work, people need to drive to, to look after loved ones. Uh, and it's not fair because they can't drive. They can't legally drive on their own until they get the test, no matter how confident they are. The, min- the minister would argue with you that, that he's doing the best he can as with the resources to hand. No, I wouldn't accept that, to be honest, because, like, I mean, we have been flagging this issue for a few months now. Um, and I do think, you know, it just it's something that just urgently need to be progressed. Like, I mean, I do think we need to look at, given the fact that there were precautions needed and a backlog was produced, we should be looking at things like... In the context can't. of COVID, you know, it, it is yeah, no, I know, extremely but I mean, risky I sitting into a car with somebody. Sure, sure but, like, I mean, I think there are things... There are things that can be done in terms of, you know, whether it's a five-day-a-week service, whether there can be uh, additional resources found to ensure that people can conduct weekend tests and the pay and everything that's necessary for that. Yeah, but it still doesn't uh, cut the COVID risk, though. No, it doesn't, but it means you can do more tests in a week. So, like, I mean, this is primarily a backlog issue. So, like, I mean, uh, if there hadn't been the backlog, it probably wouldn't be as much of a problem. So it's about clearing the backlog at this particular point. So if we can lengthen the over- opening hours into the evening uh, and if we can get weekend tests and obviously all the resources and pay that's necessary to achieve that, then we can get the backlog down. But, like, I mean, this is a big obstacle to people getting to work, to caring, uh, to all sorts of issues. So okay. it does need to be addressed. All right, Lunnick, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Lunnick, I'll leave it in Fenty D for Cork, South Central. The vote will happen tonight. It'll be flipped into a confidence motion. Leo will win that and we'll all move on. Are they wasting their time? Are they deliberately wasting their time to cause a debate and cause a vote? They would say they're not. Some people would say that they are. But as regards those driving tests, 6,535 people waiting for a driving test in Cork City. And at the moment, if you sit, if you knowingly, as a learner driver, sit in and drive unaccompanied, that is an offence. That is an offence. And if you sit into my car as a learner driver, unaccompanied, I am the one that can have the car taken off me. This is all down to the Clancy Amendment. We spoke to Mr. Clancy about this over the years. So is it fair that a person who applies for a driving test today might not get one until, what is this, November? Might not get one until February or March. They might lose out on the job because of it. They can't drive themselves to college because of it. 
they could be any no, amount of a family crisis and they can't drive. Perfectly able to drive, but they can't get a test. So they can't get off the learner permit. So that's that's an urgent one. If you're affected by anything like that, and we have talked to people before, and they've said, look, I'm I'm doing it anyway. I have no option but to do it anyway. Don't worry, we won't dub you in. But if you're if you're one of those people in that position affected by this driving test delay, do call us at eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. John says there's one simple solution to this. Radkar should resign his post as Tonishta and possibly earn it back in the future. He says he's committed to helping the country in the crisis. He says he did wrong. The government says that no confidence would be excessive. So why can't he just hand back the title and show contrition? Possibly because he's very proud and because Michal Martin isn't leader enough to make him. And Leo is a doctor, says this message. He should know what confidence is. We have a weak leader in government. He won't ever stand on the side of the truth. If you're driving around the city these days, you will come across some very eye-catching new murals. There have been a lot of them going up in the last few weeks. One of the artists involved is Deirdre Breen, and hers is a particularly eye-catching one down on Wandersford Quay. In fact, you have to look twice at it, Deirdre, to make sure you're not drunk. Um, <laughs> it's brilliant, <laughs> and they are all great. Where did the idea come from, and what's the idea behind your one? Thanks very much, PJ. Um, my my work um, uh, is uh, very much grounded in the location of Wandersford Quay. So um, I don't know if you're kind of familiar with the complex. There's um, It's currently a creative hub, and you have... The Lavic Gallery, uh, Court Printmakers and also Backwater Artist Studios. So it's a really kind of busy, dynamic spot um, and it also has a really interesting history. So it was um, it was previously uh, a Dominican priory and it's also been a mill, um, it's been a commercial printer. So it, it's constantly been a site of production and that was kind of the, the inspiration for the piece. Um, I wanted to really kind of show kind of the, the kind of, I suppose, dynamic activity that happens there. Um, so yeah, so I, I I suppose I took that as a, as kind of my my initial um my initial kind of inspiration. But I also looked at elements of the architecture of the building. So if you look at the building kind of from the front um, elevation, you can see there's um, lovely lovely brickwork that's yeah. a mix of sandstone and limestone, and you have these kind of architectural coins at the corners. Um, so I use those shapes to create a pattern. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and just kind of created that pattern. That, and like that, I said, that, that it, it's see. very, it's very, very eye-catching. Where have these all sprung from? There's about seven of them now in various parts of the sea. Who's idea? There is worth indeed. It? Yeah. There's so so. Uh, there's a new street art initiative called Ardu, which was um, launched uh, um, uh, last month, and it's kind of the brainchild of um, three artists who are based in Cork City, Shane O'Driscoll, Peter Martin and Paul Gleeson. So they had um, an idea to to kind of, I suppose, uh, dress some of the walls in the city um, in, in artworks by contemporary artists, contemporary street artists. Um, and the artworks kind of reflect the history um, of Cork, um, but also kind of the, the current situation as well. It's um, I think it's kind of really timely to see all these murals kind of popping up now and brighten being up, to the Brighten street. up dull times is one of the things. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah and it's really, it's really kind of bolstered communities as well. Like people are kind of coming out to kind of see them specifically. And, you know, there's lovely, lovely conversations kind of happening 
um, between the artists and the local community and even kind of, you know, you have kind of groups coming and everybody's quite safe and everybody's at a, a social kind yeah. of distance from each other. But um, yeah, it's, it's really, really kind of inspiring. Rather than looking at drab, flat old walls, we can be looking at some, <laughs> some very creative and colourful art and eye-catching, as I said. Deirdre, thanks very much. Deirdre Breen, one of the artists involved in the various murals popping up around the city. I must get a list, actually, of where they all are because some of them are great. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, and on that subject, Cork's 96FM's 10K toy giveaway is coming. Get ready for fun and play. We're giving away loads, and I mean loads, of 500 euro shopping sprees, toy shopping sprees for free. Listen to KC and Ross in the morning and all day long, starting Monday, November 16th, for your chance to text in or WhatsApp to win. It's Cork's 96FM's 10K toy giveaway with Johnson and Perrot, Douglas, Bishopstown and Mahan Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open online, jpmg.ie. It all starts. Listen and win from next Monday only on Cork's 96FM. 1857 is the number. The text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 Email opinion at 96fm.com. Ie. On driving tests, Betty was in touch. You're joking me, Betty. You are joking me. Her daughter's theory test has been cancelled twice. The new date is May 2021. Sweet divine. May of 2021. In that case, she'll probably get her driving test sometime around 2024. Good Lord. That's crazy. Theory test May 2021 after two cancellations. Also on the subject of Leah Varadkar and the No Confidence Motion and Sinn Féin and all of that. On the phone, I appreciate you have to challenge an opposition spokesperson, but honestly, I have to challenge them all, actually, no matter who they're speaking for. But honestly, it is their role to hold the Doyle to account. Uh, and when a government minister makes an error or engages in what you feel is wrong, and get the answers, and get to as full an answer as possible. You mentioned three times it would go nowhere. What do you expect them to do to ignore it? Fair point, caller. Fair point. Fair point. But it is going to go nowhere. They are going to drive ahead with it. It is going to cost the taxpayer money. And they know it's going to go nowhere. And I just have a bit of an issue with that. Driving something through that's going to take up doyle time, cost the taxpayer money, and that you know isn't going to work. You kind of wonder... Um, and I don't care who's that, who's, who's doing that, whether it's Sinn Féin or the Greens or Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil or the Rave Monster Raven Looney Party. I don't care. When you know what's going to happen out of it and you know it's going to cost the taxpayer money, I have a bit of a problem with that. But anyway. 1850-715-996. Now, children from Cork City and beyond, an unusual initiative uh, coming on stream for them this week. They're going to get books, but not just any old books. This is happening through the Young Nocturnal Area-Based Childhood Program, and it's called. This is fascinating. It's called Dolly Parton's Imagination Library Cork. Let's hear some more. Grace Walsh is the Senior Oral Language Development Officer. The young Nahini. Seriously, is Dolly Parton sending books to youngsters in Cork? Grace, good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really exciting 
initiative <laughs> that Dali um, is bringing to Cork in, in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. How is this um, working? She was here at the yeah. marquee and she rocked the marquee a few years yeah. ago. We know she liked the place, but this much... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, she actually set up the Imagination Library back in 1995, originally just in her hometown in Tennessee. She was inspired because her own father couldn't read. And she kind of talked about how you just can't get enough books into the hands of young children. And it has grown and grown since then. Um, so since 95, they have gifted 147 million books <laughs> America, How many? Australia, yeah, over 147 million books have been gifted to, to children through the Imagination Library. And it, it came to Ireland for the very first time last year. So our colleagues in the Childhood Development Initiative in, in Tala in Dublin launched the programme in Ireland last year and we had to find out how we could bring it to the real capital. <laughs> so we've been working uh, for the past year, year and a half, um, a local interagency working group made up of voluntary community and strategy sectors across Cork City and County to, to bring it to Cork. So we're, we're launching work? tomorrow. How does, how does it, work? it work? Yeah. So basically we have, so there's, so children aged from birth, so from zero to five can be registered if they're living in the following communities in Cork. So Knocknahini, Holly Hill, Gronabraher, Churchfield, Mahan, Carrigtuhill, Ashburn House or Kinsale Road Accommodation Centre. Okay. So any child aged between zero to five, again, you know, so if, if we register um, children at birth, by the time they graduate from the programme at age five, they'd have built up their own home collection of books, of their very own books. How um, many? 60 books. What? 60 books, yeah. That's one a yeah. month? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's it. So every month through the post, um, children will receive a book that's got their own name written on it. It's posted directly to them. Again, making children feel special. This is a gifting experience for children to increase their access and ownership. Of and it books. costs nothing. It costs nothing to the families. So we do have to, so as the local Cork affiliate and the working group, we do have to fund it. Right. So through the programme, we get access, to, you know, the, the Dollywood Foundation has can bulk buy books. So we get them at a relatively low cost of approximately a euro and 36 cent per book. Right. Um, so we do have to fundraise. So it, within the current areas involved in this programme, there's, there's close to 3,000 children that can register, that are eligible to register with us to receive a book a month until they're five through the programme in the post. Yeah. And on, on post has very generously come on board to sponsor the delivery costs. Okay. So that we cover, our, we're fundraising within our within our working group. We're covering costs and funding costs, but we've also gotten fantastic funding partners. So Barry's Tea, the Rotary Club of Cork, right. Vincent de Paul, and then we got um, two funding applications that were successful through this, the City Northwest Regeneration. This and is housing. such a cool idea, Grace. It is. It's such it? a cool because I've often said this here: the, the, one of the greatest things you can give a child is the gift of reading, the gift of enjoying a book. Yeah. And in a yeah. world where it's all tablets and phones yeah. and computers and, yeah. and Kindles, which are great things in their own, to yeah. take a book in your hand, the joy of reading. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're giving it to a child one a month until they're five years of age. And, yeah. and Dolly's doing this because her parents couldn't read. Mm. Yeah, her wow. dad, her dad. She describes her dad as being one of the smartest 
persons that she's ever known, but that he she she felt that hit the fact that he couldn't read impacted on him reaching his 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 dreams as such. Um, so she she she's really she wants to inspire this love of reading from as early as possible. And I mean, we you know the research tells us that books have such a lifelong impact, and you know yeah. it's never too early to share a book and explore a book, even with your baby. Um, and again, it's you know it's that opportunity to also builds to up buy, a nice handy fan nurture. base for Dolly Parton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, you know what? She, she she seems to have a pretty good fan base. People are really, I think, when, when they hear Dolly, um, she's got a kind of place in people's hearts. So Fabulous. I think people respond really warmly. I there, think so, this yeah. is just it's just the coolest thing I've seen Absolutely. for kids. It's great. Now, yeah. uh, inevitably, you you did read out a list of places there just to say again: yeah. Nakhnehini, Holly yeah. Hale, Gronabraha, Churchfield, Mahan, Carrick, Tool, Ashbourne House, and Kinsale Road accommodation centres. Yeah. Caller asks the question: Why aren't the other parts of the city yeah. covered? Yeah, I know, and that's a really good question, and it's it's a really hard call, I suppose. The ultimate vision is that this is something that will be available to all children in Cork, I mean all children in Ireland um, but we, we do have to start somewhere so it was kind of trying to get the ball rolling, start some funding, trying trying to fundraise over the past kind of 17 months and we're now in a place that we can start to offer it to, to almost 3,000 children but the vision is definitely to see can we grow this okay. um, so that other children can access it too. Okay, it's a great idea, it's a great idea and it's brilliant for any any kid to get all those books. Grace, thank you very much the Dolly Parton Imagination Library. Coming to Cork, y'all. 1850-715-996. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Avondoo, Mochrin Firma are hosting a virtual speed dating night on Friday the 13th of November. It's open to anyone, members and non-members, aged between 18 and 35 and looking to find love. Kicking off on Zoom at 8pm, the event is all in aid of the Irish Heart Foundation. To register and for more info, email Avondoo Mochrin at gmail.com or check out Avondoo Makra on all socials. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. Cork's 96fm's 10k toy giveaway is coming. Get ready for fun and play because we're giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping spree for free. For free. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then text your WhatsApp in for your chance to win. On 083 396 96 96. Cork's 96 FM's 10K Toy Giveaway starts Monday from 6 a.m. with Johnson and Parrot, Douglas Bishop's Town and Mahon Point. Put 2020 behind you and drive into 2021. Always open at jpmg.ie. Only on Cork's 96 FM. 1850-715-996. Do your youngsters talk to you about relationships, don't matter whether they're 12 or 18 or 20 or older or 9, do they talk to you about relationships? A lot of them don't. Now we'd like them to do so, we'd like them to come to us and think and feel that they could come to us with pretty much anything, 
And that's the sign of, I guess, a good relationship with your kids, that they'll come to you and feel they can come to you with anything. But they don't when it comes to relationships, which means if a relationship goes arseways, they've no one to turn to other than mates, which mightn't always be the best advisors. If they land themselves in a spot of bother, shall we say, do they come to you? And it's worrying. A lot of them don't. Let's chat with Stella O'Mahony, parenting expert. Stella, good morning to you. Hi there. You'd love to think that your children will come to you at whatever age they are with whatever questions on their mind about relationships, but the research says that they don't. Why don't they? Um, I think there's a natural embarrassment that kind of grows up around children. And when I say natural, I'm not sure it's natural, but it does seem to be very, very common between parents and teenagers about talking about sex. But I do think we have to overcome it and drive in anyway and talk about it because this this kind of survey, the ESRI survey, is huge. And it shows that four out of ten 17-year-olds haven't spoken to their parents about sex or relationships. And it also shows that parents, children who have spoken to their parents about sex and relationships fare better. They get on better. They're more likely to use contraception, contraception and they're more likely to be more to be happy and not regretful about their sex lives. So it's or their sexual contact or their relationships. So it's quite important that parents do speak about it because it really impacts. But I just think the parents the parents don't want to and the teenagers don't want to. So nobody wants to have this conversation, so it's easy to duck. Then in the case of who's gonna talk first. Yeah, well it's very rarely gonna be the teenager. Yeah. Come here come here, mommy, I want to talk to you about my they don't. And I think the parents have to kind of take the lead and be the project manager and mm. kind of and whenever it comes up, you know, in the in the papers or in a film, you know, when normal people was on during the lockdown or, you know, the Belfast rape trial from two years ago, whenever it comes up, it should be a series of conversations and it should be regularly said at every opportunity that it comes up in the news or it comes up in their lives. Mm. And then rather than it's one big talk that I have when they're 10 and good luck. That's not the way it is. It's supposed but to be a lot of little talk. Even that one big talk at 10 or 12, do you know, they know more than we do now at this stage at 10. Do you know, they, they, it's it's a very strange conversation now. Now, I'm going to tell you about what's going to happen when you get a little bit older. And the eyes roll up to the ceiling. Dad, I know. Come on. And yeah, that's they over now. They know, but they don't know more. Well, of course they know. don't. We know much more. They know so much more would make their heads spin. And they think that they know more. And in a way, we kind of have to take our authority. This idea that the parents of these fools who don't even know what sex is, in a way, we need to kind of show our leadership. That's their view, though, not ours, you know. It's their view and it's their wrong view. And it does them no harm to realize, actually, adults know a lot more than you do about some things. We just don't, we're not necessarily, you know, talking about it all the time and, the presumption mm. of the the teenagers that they know more needs to be kind of um, put in its place because they pretend to know so much and then they get into a lot of trouble yeah. because they're naive and they think they know everything and then they find out, oh my God, I don't know everything. I would have thought that the best way to do it would be to let them know from as early an age as they get the reference that the window is open. I'm always here. There's nothing you can't bring. And I mean nothing. If you yeah. open the door, they'll. If you leave it, if you leave the door ajar, they'll they'll push it so that no subject needs to be off the table ever. 
I think you're right, but I think it depends on the person. Like, you know, I've got, let's say, two children and one 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 of my children would definitely ask questions. The other just wouldn't. He wouldn't be as questioning. He wouldn't be as articulate. He wouldn't be sure exactly what his words are or what he... Do you follow me? So different personalities that some children just don't ask. And those children do need to be looked after because the verbally articulate question, questioning children... They'll come to you, but the other kids can get lost and they can be silent and they don't even know what their questions are. And I think we kind of have to build them a golden bridge so that they draw them out a little bit. For example, like children who've hit first year, let's say this year, so they started in September, an awful lot of them will have received an inappropriate text by now. We're in November now. Most of them will. Not most of them, but a lot of them will. And it will do no harm at all for every parent who's listening, who's the parent of a, of a first year, to say, you know, it's quite likely you're going to get inappropriate texts in this year, and it's also quite likely that a lot of boys will send them. And it does seem quite noticeable that the girls receive them, the boys send them in first year. It doesn't end up like that, but it starts like that in first mm. year. And I think it's a very good way to kind of any parent of first year to say that and to kind of just open the door by saying this is a common phenomenon in first year, and it's not a nice phenomenon, and you have to delete and block these people who are sending them but I just want you to be just to have it flagged so that you don't feel like a freak and you don't feel unusual that this is happening and it needs to be dealt with because it's not a very nice part of life. Mm. I suppose to be fair Stella while the teens or the youngsters themselves are afraid of the idea of bringing something like that to the kitchen table a lot of parents cringe at the prospect of of bringing the subject up. Like, how on earth? You know, and particularly with teenage girls, and I said this to my own daughter so she knows, there's a thing about teenage girls in particular, that the minute they turn 13, they disappear behind the bedroom door. And the only reason they come out between then and 18 is to eat and fight. And, yeah. and, and that's normal, that's okay. But trying to have a conversation or start a conversation with that is bloody difficult. Incredibly difficult. And I'm not saying this is easy. I, I don't think it's easy. I think it's very hard. And the eye rolling and the kind of, I know, I know it all. I know. Stop talking. And the parent doesn't, is cringing anyway and really doesn't want to talk. I still think, you know, whether you're in the car, because that can, that can feel non-combative because you're neither mm. you're facing each other. At some point, you just think, within the end of this week, I am going to have discussed inappropriate texting. Or within the end of this week, I'm going to talk about consent or pornography. Just one thing, not the whole lot, just one point. Like an assassin, you go in, you say your point and you leave. But you do it. You, you kind of commit to yourself as a parent like that your responsibility is to make sure that they know the ins and outs of consent. So you're going in and you're going to say it. They'll roll their eyes and try to stop it. You'll have it said quite quickly. In a couple of minutes, you'll have it said and you've had it said. You know what I mean? That I would, I would push in a bit on that, and I'm not, I'm not underestimating how hard it is, because it is very hard. Then again, you may, you, you may discover that they've done something they regret, or been involved in something that frightens them, and they want to try to get out of it. Like the, the this survey threw up a statistic about young teenage girls that they regretted having sex for the first time. Yeah. And, you know, an awful lot of kids, I'm a psychotherapist and I see a lot of teenagers and a lot of teenagers have done things very often online. They've done things 
and they do regret it and they don't know how to get out of it. And in one half of them, they're just like an ostrich pretending it didn't happen. And the other half, they're, they're um, just laughing it off as if it's nothing. And it's not nothing. It's worrying them and it's kind of freaking them out, but they don't know what to do. So that would be, remember I said like assassin, you have one point. That could be a point, which is, which you said very nicely that you said, if there's anything bothering you, please let me know because I will be on your side and I will help you out of any problems. So that mm. they know if a problem arises and it's sexual, come to them, mm. come to you. There's nothing you can't yeah. bring here. And we, yeah. we can, we're we stressed that again and again and again. There's nothing you can't bring up here. That's lovely. Yeah, mm. that's a really nice thing to do. It's a really generous thing to give to your kid. Yeah. But they have, they have that in the back of their minds. My, it's I, been said enough times. You know? I, I leave you with the advice my mother gave me. <clears throat> When myself and my then girlfriend were were going on holidays together for the first time, now we were in our early. I was in my early twenties. I think she just about turned twenty one. And my mother said, "There's two of you going. Make sure only two of you come back." <laughs> Very off. good. <laughs> of its There's time, it was groundbreaking. <laughs> Stella, thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. 1850-715-996. It's the conversation you have to have. The birds and the bees have long since flown. They've flown the nest and they've flown the hive, but they have to be able to talk to you. They have to be able to bring anything home. And thank, well, I'd like to think we'd moved past an Ireland where a young girl has landed herself in a spot of bother, you know what I'm talking about, and can't bring that home. I would absolutely hate to think we still lived in that Ireland. I'd be shocked and horrified and probably very angry to think that we did live in a, in, in a country where a teenager couldn't bring something home to mom or dad and say, listen, I'm, I'm in trouble here, whether it's a boy or a girl. I would sincerely hope that, that we've moved on from that. Sadly, I don't think we have entirely, but there you go. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. On Dolly Parton's Books Game, my four year old grandson who lives in London has also been getting a free book every month since he was born from the Southwark Council. That's a nice one. That's a lovely story. 1850-715-996. Not so lovely is the story that nearly 3,500 women contacted a domestic violence service for the first time between March and August this year, according to a new report by Safe Ireland. This follows on from something we knew was happening anecdotally, at least, which was an increase in incidences of domestic violence. We knew it was going on during lockdown one. We feared it would go on again during lockdown two. The numbers are in and, and it is it is going up. Katrina O'Neill is from Coonley. Katrina, good morning to you. Hi, thanks for having me on. How are you? Very good, thank you. This is something we knew, but now we have the figures to back it up. Yeah, yeah. So Safe Ireland, um, they've released their findings. So they've been collecting um, kind of figures and numbers from March to August of this year, and they've been, uh, you know, collecting that from 39 domestic violence support services across the country. Now, their findings are very serious. Um, like here at Coonley, it was evident to us and all the staff here that the, the rate at which women and children sought support, how that rate was increasing, um, was absolutely frightening. 
frightening, but to see the figures on a national scale, you know, really, really is concerning. Mm. The report is called Tracking the Shadow of the Pandemic. Yes. And it's it, 3,450 women sought support and safety. Nearly 2,000 women got support and safety. What happened to the rest of them? Yeah, so, like, I suppose, you know, kind of on a monthly basis, um, the refuges um, were were able to support approximately 200 women and nearly 300 uh, children in accommodation um, or emergency accommodation each each month. But, unfortunately, um, just the... the, the the availability wasn't there and looking at it, an average on four refusals each day um, where, you know, seven, sorry, each day seven women were refused emergency accommodation. There just was not, um, was not enough availability, you know, and I suppose ourselves and other refugees across the country, we have fought all, you know, extra accommodation. We've yeah. actually ex- increased our service, but we still could not meet the demand for women and children seeking support. How many can you accommodate at Coonley, Katrina? So I suppose how we've worked it, um, it is slightly different at the moment. So before we used to have uh, six units here in the refuge, but because of the social distancing, we actually, and I'm keeping with the HSE guidelines, we've had to reduce that capacity. However, we've been able to to pick it up in a, in another location. So we're still able to meet those um, th- yeah. that six unit need. See, there you go. Now, there's something we'd have forgotten. That we'd have forgotten that, like even the even the individual services themselves would have been affected by social distancing. So all that's got to be taken into account. Oh, massively, and I know that had an awful impact on a, a lot of the refugees across the country. But you know, with the support of Safe Ireland, and they have been doing massive fundraising, um, like with the Women in Harmony, and you know, a number of other fundraising that they've allowed us, I suppose, to increase, um, incre- you know, make up for the for the lost accommodation, you know, through the Airbnb service and things like that. How do we address these figures? We're in the second lockdown now. We're not going to be out of this pandemic anytime soon, regardless of what they say about a vaccine. How do we how do we address this crisis? Yeah, like it's it's really really difficult. Like I suppose, you know, whilst the numbers of new um, of new women reaching out for support, like three thousand five hundred, is absolutely frightening. It's also really good that people have been reaching out. That people, you know, know we're here. I suppose it really is a whole. You know, it's a societal change on on how we address uh, domestic abuse, how we view domestic abuse, but also it's about it's about calling it out and holding people accountable for their actions, which I think a lot of the time, you know, we we kind of don't want to address it directly. Um, pe- people are, you know, they're hiding from it maybe a little bit. Um, you know, maybe they don't want to address it's one of those. Then, it's still one of those taboos we don't talk oh, about enough. absolutely, absolutely. And I think a lot of time as well, we might play down situations. You know, if we see a friend, a family member or a neighbour, um, you know, uh, kind of if we uh, abusing a partner or, you know, being very nasty, even in, you know, it might not be physical abuse, but even just nasty words, things like that. We don't want to tackle it, and you know we'll play it down. Yeah. Um, but it's the whole, society really does need to change how 
you know, how they view it and actually be able to have the courage to call it out. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down as well to, you know, it's about holding people accountable for their actions. Um Mm. Very much so, because like this, you know, the numbers, you know, it's 2020. We we shouldn't be looking at such a hidden taboo of domestic violence. The, but the, it the, the, the time has passed, I think, Katrina, for the deaf eye, uh, uh, the deaf ear and the, bl- and, and the blind eye. Going to leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Katrina O'Neill from Coon Lee. Those figures, very, very stark. The huge increase in the numbers of complaints of domestic violence and abuse during Lockdown. If you've been affected by any of this uh, and you want to reach out for help, you go to their website, safeireland.ie, and there's a list of helplines and other advice and support there that you can access. Safeireland.ie. To finish up today, I caught up with a mother and daughter. The daughter is the star of the show. She's 12, and she is the most incredible artist. She's from Cork, from Kinsale, actually, and she has amassed hundreds of thousands of TikTok followers because during the first lockdown, she started doing little videos of her drawing. Now, her drawing is incredible. We've actually tweeted a couple of them on the Opinion Line Twitter just to see how good she is. My favourite one of all her drawings is actually one of the ones that we've that we've tweeted. She's absolutely fantastic. It's a phenomenal talent. And I had a little chat with Edie and her mum. So I have both Edie and her mum, Orla, here with me. Edie, the hardest thing to believe here is that you're only 12, looking at these drawings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, when, did you, when did you first start to draw? Um, I always loved drawing, but during quarantine, I just really started getting serious about it, and I just love it. Like, when was the first time you can remember taking up a pencil to draw something? Oh, I just, yeah, I just like always been so creative and just like love making stuff for my mom and dad and stuff. Did you spot talent there early, Orla? Um, go on. She's in front. She's in front of you now. You can flatter her. Go on. Yeah, yeah. yeah we knew she was artistic and she's a sewing machine and she does little bits and she was always, always, you know, drawing cards for us and stuff. And we thought she was good, but like nothing to the level that it is now. It's just unreal the way she has progressed. Whose idea was it to start up the TikTok? Yeah, it was just like, I just see like my friends at school doing it. And I was like, oh, like, I, uh, what if I start this? It'd be cool. And I didn't think it would get this serious at all. Yeah. And you had a thousand followers in June. Yeah. <laughs> How many have you got today? I got 311 thousand. <laughs> that's like that's crazy. I mean, Orla, did you expect that? Like, never. Um, like when she hit, so we she created the account on New Year's Eve, two thousand nineteen, and obviously because she's so young, I managed her account for her. Clever. And when she hit the thousand, when she hit the thousand views in June, we were jumping around the place. <laughs> We were outside the back, actually, because it was a beautiful sunny day. And I was just watching, watching, watching. Next thing I hit a thousand and was like, oh, my God. And literally in five months. So she's averaging about 15,000 followers a week. Yeah. New followers every week. If you look at the followers as one thing, right, that's 311,000. But look at the number of people that have viewed the individual videos. Maybe not just follow. Over five million. 
You must be very proud of it, are you, Edie? Yeah, I am. It's crazy. <laughs> Lockdown, when it came, was a time... There's a very funny video that you do of a picture you did of Billie Eilish uh, before lockdown. And I thought, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. And you now think that's all. But you practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. <laughs> Hours a day. Hours. Yeah, just up in my room, not coming out, was just doing it. <laughs> See, PG, we were kind of restricted because my parents lived next door and my mother's health wouldn't be great. So we kind of turned both houses into one. So the two girls weren't left out to meet anyone during lockdown. And they just had each other. Okay, you know, so we were stricter than a lot of families. You were cocooning. My favourite my favorite one is the one of the banana and the sticky tape. Yeah, loads of people love that one as well. Like, where <laughs> Everyone did... thought it was real. Yeah, where did that idea come from? <laughs> I don't know. It was just, I was just bored and I was like, I have this app called Pinterest and that's where I kind of get a lot of ideas. Yeah. And I just saw it and I was like, oh, that'd be a cool thing to draw. And how long did that take now? Um, it only took me around like four hours. It was actually a really easy one I did. <laughs> How long does the average one take? The one you did said it took you eight weeks, was it? Yeah, I finished one last night and I was at it for eight weeks. <laughs> that was Billy. Yeah, it was Billy Eilish. The new Billy Eilish one. Another one. <laughs> yeah, you're a fan. You're you're a fan. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah she actually, um, PJ, she actually came third, and we only found out this week in the test, Texaco. Yeah. Uh, in her age group. So there was 25,000 applications. Right. And she came third with a drawing of Billy Eilish. <laughs> so it was a great achievement for her. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the problem with being on social media, and I'm delighted, Orla, that you're managing it for her and you manage the in Instagram for her because not everybody's nice. No. 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 How, how, do you deal, how do you deal with it, Edie, when people aren't very nice? At first, I'd like, if someone, like, gave me a hey comment, it would just, like, really upset me. But now I'm, like, I don't really care because, like... I'm I'm doing what I love doing and like no one's gonna stop me from doing that and like I don't care. Yeah. Sorry, a lot of them pull her on her accent because you know <laughs> the Irish find the th is hard to pronounce. Yeah. And a lot of them like you know for tree they'd be like you know they'd be drawing pictures of a tree, kind of mocking her. But we turn it into funny. You know we reply with tree tree pictures of a tree kind of thing. <laughs> So we turn a lot of the hate comments into, you know, we turn it back on them. Well, that's their problem anyway, not yours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And when you reply to people that are quite nasty, a lot of the time they'd say, oh, my God, I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> you're my favorite. I love you so much. So they're just looking for maybe attention as well. Hmm. Would you like to be a professional artist, Edie, someday? Yeah, Hopefully, I I want I always want to be a fashion designer. Right. But I'd like that art will come into that as well. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is that what you'd love to do? Yeah. All yeah. oh, but since she was small, that's what she said she wanted to be. What yeah. class are you in in school now? I'm excited. <laughs> Going to do art for the junior cert and art for the leaving. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Do you know yeah. what? I, I think someone's going to pick you up and ask you to draw for them very, very soon because these are really, really good. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. <laughs> you had no idea, had you, when you went on TikTok that you'd have this much kind of a following or that people would appreciate it so much? Not in a million years oh. at all. It, it was just kind of started it for my own fun and just I didn't think that that many people would like my art and enjoy watching me. Mm. It's crazy. Orla, look after her because this is I a guess. super talent here. And PJ, just to let you know, she's actually dyslexic as well. Oh. So she find, she was she finds school quite hard, right. even though it's Bannersfield National School she goes to, and the support is amazing. But she struggles, you know, with her reading and her writing. And I, this is just fantastic for her confidence. Yeah. And she told kids on TikTok that she was dyslexic and the amount of kids that came back and said they were dyslexic as well and that she inspires them so much. So, like, it was a real boost. How does being dyslexic affect you, Edie? In what way does it affect you? Um, I just struggle harder with just reading and just it. sometimes I can just get stressed out and it's just like when I'm doing art, I just fall away from all that and yeah. I'm just in my zone. You're in your and your zone. spellings. Her yeah. spellings are very difficult, you know, because she... She spells how she hears it, as opposed to, like, so it's very hard for her to, when she learns the spelling, it's very hard for her to retain it. Well, I'll let you into a secret. There's a lot of people my age can't spell at all. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of people in my line of work can't spell at all. So don't worry about that. But I'll tell you one thing, none of them can draw like you. Oh, thank you. It's lovely. You take care of yourself now and the very best of luck to you both. To everyone. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, PJ. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. That's Edie Collins and, and her mom, Orla, chatting to me last evening. Yeah, she's got the TikTok, which is Edie underscore, it's E-D-I-E, Edie underscore does underscore art. And then you can follow that on Instagram as well. She has got a website, edoesart.com, E-D-I-E does art.com, all one word, all one, one word. And I tell you, this this kid's got a business brain. She's now selling stickers of her best artworks. So the the really the really good ones are making stickers out of them. You can I love the one the one with the banana and the sticky tape. We have uh, we've tweeted a few of them. That's that's my particular favorite. But she's great. She's a great kid, and she's going places. Twelve years of age, incredible talent. Before I go, if you're a fan of the Crown. Series 4 drops next weekend on Netflix. We have a big surprise for you at the end of the show on Friday for fans of The Crown. Tell you in the morning now. You'll have, to, you'll have to tune in and see what that's all about. But that's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after night.